0: I have, for years, I have um, joined a group of Lutheran pastors for retreats a few times a year. And we meet at a beautiful Roman Catholic retreat center over near Belton, Texas. Um, Gorgeous grounds, cedar trees everywhere, and uh, this beautiful chapel out in the woods. And usually, everything is scheduled in advance, and there's no question. But we had to modify our schedule and we planned a chapel at a different time of the day. So we double checked with the uh, managers of the Roman Catholic Retreat Center. And, hey, do you mind if we use the chapel at this time? And without missing a beat, they said, Yes, as long as you don't nail anything to the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That doesn't directly tie into today's message. It was just too good not to share on your <laughs> of Sunday. So let's see. I'm over here. My message is over here. on the extra you know, um, When well, you've dug yourself a hole, what's the first step you take to get out? Stop. <laughs> Stop. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to rely on ourselves to please God always results in digging that hole deeper. Now, we all know someone who is notorious for saying something awkward or, you know, inappropriate and then trying to keep talking in order to get out of what they've just said. Perhaps they're one of those people. And the more they talk, the more cringeworthy worthy they make it. And You want to just say, please, stop. Leave it alone. It's not going to be any better if you keep talking. We've all been there, right? Well, those listening to Jesus in today's lesson, the the Jews who believe in him, it says, find themselves digging a deeper and deeper hole in this text. Jesus talks about their need to be set free. And... Instead of receiving Jesus' word and recognizing his call to abide in him, they begin to take a hole. And these folks who know very, very well their their, uh, religious history and their national history as God's people say, oh, we've never, ever been slaves to anyone at any time in history. Really? Egypt, anybody? <laughs> or we could talk about Assyria and the northern kingdom being taken off into exile, never to return. We could talk about the southern kingdom being taken off of the Babylon and then, then ruled by Assyria. We could talk about the Greeks coming in after that. And currently, as they're having this conversation with Jesus, they are not a free people. They are under the rule of the Romans. And yet, to win an argument with Jesus, they just dive right in. We've never been slaves to anyone. Well, the same principle applies when we try to fix our slavery. Is this not the premise of most of the sitcoms out there? Somebody tells a white line, does something sneaky, and then the rest of the show is made up of a comedy of errors as they do more and more things to try to cover up what they have done. Unfortunately, our minds, when we continue to try to solve our sin problem our way, are usually not So here in this first point in the message, I want to want to stress that works don't work for God. Works don't work for God. Trying to rely on ourselves digs the hole deeper. Trying to obey the law reminds us that we can't obey the law. We just heard in the first lesson: all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is where the Apostle Paul speaks in Romans chapter 7. If any of you are scripture readers, you know this is every scripture reader's least favorite text, except for the, um, the list of the genealogies. Remember this one? For Paul says, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Remember this text? He continues, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. He finally concludes, who will rescue me from this body of death? He recognizes that this is Apostle Paul, my friends. This is... This is someone that we revere and who we look on as a saint, somebody who had it pretty well figured out. And even though he's writing inspired scripture, he's admitting, I want to do the right things, I know the right things to do, and I just can't do them. The more I try to do them, the more I trip over myself. And he asks this all-important question, who will rescue me from this body of death? And thanks be to God, he immediately provides an answer. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We don't succeed in doing the right things. We need to be rescued from this body of death, and it points us away from our own efforts and toward Jesus in repentance. This is why not just on Reformation Sunday, but every single week, we begin by gathering for worship and having a time of confession and then we hear the most important words you could ever hear. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. Someone say amen. 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 So then, the next point, and I know this should be and it probably needs review for most of us, the next point is simply that Jesus does the work for us. To think a little bit about how transactional we are in our culture. If you pay your dues at the gym, what do you expect to find when you go to the gym? Clean equipment that works, fresh towels, um, a place that's fresh and inviting, maybe staff that's helpful when you need help, right? When you go to the grocery store and you take all of your groceries to the checkout line and you pay for them, and these days you pay dearly for them, what do you expect to walk up with? A carload of groceries, yes. When you pay their health insurance and then you go to the doctor, oh, well, that's probably not a very good example. <laughs> Red tape, unexpected bills, and yeah, no, let's not go there. Um, But for the most part, in life, we expect it to be transactional. Sometimes, if we're really honest, this even bleeds over into how we approach relationships. I remember early in my ministry, I was a worship director on staff at a church, and I was really enjoying sort of the camaraderie we were having as a staff, and how we were getting to know each other better, and we went to this pastor's conference, and continued to connect and then two other pastors from the region sat down at our table and all of a sudden it was like i was invisible <laughs> and the pastors were talking amongst themselves networking and connecting and i'm like hey i'm still here hello and i've probably been guilty of that myself where we use relationships, to network, and to to uh, get to know folks that can be beneficial for us in our careers or in our relationships, or, um, hey, so-and-so can, uh, so-and-so sells cars, Might get to know him, maybe I can get a good deal. And when it comes to faith, we can carry over that same transactional mindset. Sure, we went to church, we're... Lutherans, we understand we're saved by grace through faith, and not by works of the law, and yet we're trained to think transactionally. <clears throat> if I pay my dues, if I read my Bible, if I do the right things, then I'm good with God. And the truth is not only that no, you're not, and that doesn't work. But even more importantly, God has already done it. He's already done the work. And God's love, God's truth, God's salvation, God's love is unconditional. There's nothing we can do to make him love us more than he always already does. There is nothing we can do, even if we turn our backs and reject Him and he allows us exactly what we want apart from him, he still doesn't love us any last. It breaks his heart to watch us do that. God truly does love the world so much that he gave. He gave. And in a world... That is transactional in an economy, in a culture in which there is no free lunch. Nothing is free. Everything has strings attached. We hear this radical news that God gave. The gift is more than an idea. I want to be careful here because we are certainly not anti-intellectual. We start digging into our Lutheran-flavored theology and there's plenty of big words and complicated concepts. But at the end of the day, truth is not just head knowledge. Truth is more than just understanding religious knowledge. Truth is the gift of Jesus Christ himself. The gift is God's action. In time, space, and history. I want to say it the way Miss Laura says it. How do you how do you teach the kids? Real We have a real God who did real things through real people so that we would know who he is. Amen. Real God who did real things. This is not just fairy tales. This is not just ideas. This is God in action, in our world, using people like you and I to accomplish real salvation for us. And that is why we look for God to meet us in His truth through real things like the waters of baptism and bread and wine in which He gives us His body and blood and holy communion. as is evident in our gospel lesson today, His Word. If you remain in my Word, if you abide in my Word, if in the course of your life you stay with me and you stay with my Word, I, Jesus says, the truth, capital T, the way, the truth, and the life, will set you free. So the third point here, freedom in Christ, is freedom to live to abide continually in Christ. Now, every flavor of Christianity has its weak points. <coughs> in the Reformation era, the <coughs> Church of Rome at the time had several really big, glaring flaws that needed to be reformed. One area that can be a soft spot for Lutheran-flavored Christianities, Christianity part, is a concept called antinomianism. We get all this great stuff right, salvation by grace, through faith, but not by works of the law, and then we turn our brains off. And we turn our bodies off. And we say, okay, great. I have to do nothing, so I'll do nothing. Antinomianism. And either that heresy, that unchristian idea, results in laziness. Jesus paid it all. Nothing to him, I hope. That's how it goes, right? (laughs) Or it results in libertinism, where Jesus paid it all. He paid the price for my sins. So contrary to what Paul says, I can go on sinning, so that grace may increase, right? No. We are, when we are saved, we are given the gift of Christ. The freedom that we enjoy is not freedom from God's design for how the world should work and how we should work, but freedom to actually be the people that he created us to be because the Creator lives within us. When we are justified, we are set free from sin, set free from anti-law heresy so that we may follow Jesus. When we are justified, when we are saved, a lifelong process begins of God continually transforming us through confession and forgiveness and through relationship with Him into His image and His character. Friends, we've been set free for a purpose. Jesus, what should I do? What's the most important part of the law? Love the Lord God with all your heart soul and mind strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Two things that we cannot do on our own, but now we have Christ in us, setting us free so that we may grow in his image, his character, his likeness, and join him in his ministry on this earth. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When we are saved, it is not just that we are left out of the salvation problem to solve and now we're on our own. No, Christ lives in us. Therefore, all continues, and the life I now live in the flesh, in this body, this side of eternity. I live by faith in the Son of God. This Son of eternity, I live my life trusting continually, abiding continually in Jesus Christ, the truth, who loved me and gave himself. There is a again. Gift gave itself for me. Just as Christ Jesus loved me and gave himself for me, so I find it normal and joyful. We find it normal and joyful. To love others and to give a lot of our lives for them. This is the culture that we see here at Trinity in Tyler at its best. This is the culture that our family, the Schuster family, just experienced on Thursday when, with fairly short notice, we discovered that we were able to move into our new house. I know. Praise God. <laughs> The sermon's not about me in my house, but we made a couple of. Actually, I just asked Sydney to email a couple of groups of people, and we had just the right crew. Absolutely kicking butt and <laughs> helping move. We hired movers for the big stuff, but they showed up. They worked hard. They blessed us. And while I'm really grateful that y'all want to bless the pastor, it's a very evident. Epic- this is not just pastoral privilege. Folks are here for you. This is a community that surrounds those in need. And I want to commend that and lift that up as evidence of new life in Christ. Some of those same folks who showed up to a, a, a wedding, someone here at Trinity yesterday. And some of those same folks were there to support, to love, to care for the the couple getting married, demonstrating that that we this is a community together in this. <laughs> together. So, to close out, I want to think just briefly about in Lutheran flavored Christianity, we call this two kinds of righteousness. When we remember that there are two kinds of righteousness, it helps us not fall into laziness or libertinism, that anti-nomian stuff, where we're saved by grace through faith, but now we're just lazy Christians. All right? You with me? Two kinds of righteousness. One kind of righteousness is the kind that only God can give. That um, level of righteousness that is above our pay. We cannot earn God's favor. Earn a right relationship with God. Earn our in eternity because of sin. That righteousness, that is the most important righteousness, can only be received from outside of us and is given to us as a gift. Right? We've got that. That is the renewed message of reformation. But there's another kind of righteousness. This is the righteousness that God created humankind to accomplish. This was all that to creation. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. This is the kind of righteousness that is, that is demonstrated in the character of God, explained in the law, and often we can actually do this. on Thursday to help us move. Guess what? It worked. It really worked. And they didn't have to stand back and say, okay, God, there's the boxes. Move them for us. They did. God didn't drive the truck. They did. Right? And this is a kind of righteousness that even people who don't know Jesus can accomplish, and it provides good and order and and wonderful things in this world. Now, when Christians who have the righteousness of God and the love of God in their life, when God is alive and at work in them, the Holy Spirit is moving, Christ is in them. When we as Christians engage in that second kind of righteousness, that every day working to make this world a better place, to demonstrate care and compassion, for our neighbor. We do that as a witness to Christ. And this is a powerful, powerful combination. When the righteousness that we have by faith meets the righteousness that we are created to accomplish in this world. Because the want gives witness to the truth. If you remain in me, if you abide in me, if you continue throughout your life rooted in my word, remembering your baptism, feasting at my table, then the truth Jesus Christ will continuously set you free. So let's put down the shovel. Let's quit digging a little deeper. God's already done. He's already accomplished. that we belong to him. But when our neighbor is in need, when our neighbor needs to be dug out, that is when we pick up the show. Because we have been set free so that we can love God and love our neighbor. Amen? Amen. Let's perfect. Gracious Lord, we give you thanks. We thank you that you set us free. We thank you that you have made us, us righteous when otherwise we were hopelessly lost in sin now. We ask that you would renew us of refresh us once again, that we might be your righteousness manifest in this world, giving glory and honor and witness to Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.